0: no matter what you do in, in a relationship someone's gonna leave one way or another someone's gonna die you know like it's you know unless you're like lucky and you're like i don't know you're on, on the ferris wheel together and it bursts into flames you both die <laughs> and she's together in love which is beautiful it's the way everyone wants to go burning the test <laughs> on the ferris wheel on valentine's day but it doesn't always go that way it usually doesn't
1: Welcome to Horror Business. Today, our special guest is an author I've had the pleasure of working with for many years and the privilege of calling a friend. Christopher Triana joins us today to discuss how he successfully navigates writing across multiple genres. Um, I guess to start off with, Chris, uh, we've talked about on this show that labels and classifying are important, right, for the human brain, but it also can be extremely detrimental to an author. It's a very fine line. So my first question is, let's say a random person meets you, finds out you're an author and says, hey, what do you write? What's your initial response to the genre that you write?
0: I write horror, yeah. Um, and it's it's a funny thing. I was talking with some other people about this fairly recently, uh, about how, uh, actually, yeah, I was on another podcast. I was talking with, uh, with Edward Lee and Rath James White and a few other people were on, and we were talking about how it's an interesting thing that horror writers have to uh, deal with uh, when people find out you're a writer and then they say, you know, what, what kind of stuff do you write? And you say horror. There's always these people that give you this kind of like, oh, like, like look, like, you know, they get you have the suspicious look on. They're like, oh, there must be something wrong with this person. They, they write mm-hmm. horror. But other writers of other genres don't seem to get that result. Like, even if you say, oh, I write crime. People don't go, oh, he must be a criminal. They don't do that, you know. Or I write romance. Yeah. Oh, they must be a pervert. They, they don't <laughs> they, they don't do that. But but with horror they do. They're like, oh, oh, horror, you know. But no, I mean, it, it's just, uh, it, it. I guess it, it depends, you know. Like if if someone's coming to me as a, as a reader and wants to know, you know, I'll get into more detail, but. In everyday life, someone finds out I'm a I'm a, a writer, and it just depends on the situation I'm in whether or not I'm going to like to elaborate. You know, <laughs> right?
2: But
1: you you evaluate very quickly, like okay, um, I don't tell them about body art first, maybe maybe I no. talk about a fine evening in hell first.
0: <laughs> right, right, yeah, 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 it depends. Well then-
1: yeah, I, and I, I do. I wanted to say the same thing, that I do get that a lot. I find myself, when I say horror, I get very nervous right away, and I go, oh, you know what? It, it's actually, I just write dark, spooky stuff. I find myself saying these silly things like crime, mystery. I, I throw all those in, that you're talking about, because I almost do feel this sense that they are judging me suddenly for horror, whereas if I said any of these other things that are very close, they wouldn't be. Yeah. Um, I like that. I guess then, because it's really difficult to say it's just horror, because you throw in elements of other other subgenres in there. So I guess my next question would be until about like 2016, I would say everything I read from you was was totally brutal. Like it was full on horror. We started with the devouring and <laughs> it just I was like, wow, this is all that this guy does, which is still great. But did you when you started back then, did you know that you would eventually branch out and be incorporating all these other subgenres into your horror to make it more full? Or was that just a natural evolution as you became a more skilled writer and you um, just started to come up with these plots
0: well um i mean i was i was writing stuff um even in the early days i was writing stuff that wasn't extreme horror uh i just became known for it um early on because my extreme stuff became more popular than my other stuff like my you know, the novel that I wrote before Body Art, which, which your Press Bloodbound Books put out, um, Body Art is way splattery, way extreme and gross. Um, the book I put out just before that, which is my first published novel, is called The Ruin Season. And it's a more of a literary crime story. Uh, it's not horror, let alone extreme horror. There's no blood and guts. There's no, it's dark as hell, but there's no, uh, there, uh, there's no gore or extremity to it. So I definitely always, I, I've always written, I think, uh, like according to what the story called for in my mind. You know, it's, the fact that Ruined Season and Body Art came out back to back is kind of ridiculous because here I was just starting off and I've given people two completely different styles of of books, you know, that, that, rep- that represent me. Um, <clears throat> So, but it just, it 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 depended on what the story was, you know, with the season, it was something more from the heart with body art. I just had a wild idea and I ran with it and, um, it was the type of book that couldn't be written any other way. I mean, it's, the story is about, uh, you know, a a porn crew making the most extreme dirty movie ever. And so of course it's got to, it's, it has to deliver that extreme content.
2: So when you think of these books, I think you're kind of hinting at it, but it's the story that comes first, right? Before you even think about like how it's going to present or like who you're writing to or anything like that, right?
0: That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, It's the story that comes first. And then as it goes along, it's really more like once I'm finished with it, I I say, okay, which publisher would, would this work for, you know? Um, You know, and there's some where I I would go right to Mark because, you know, I know he doesn't shy away from from the extreme stuff. Uh, But then there are other ones that I mean, recently, you know, uh, Bloodbound Books, we've we we have collaborated and put out some stuff that's more uh, thriller, more mystery. uh, But in in the early days, it was just gore, gore, gore. And there was definitely (laughs) stuff that I was like, well, this is good, but I'm not going to send it to Mark because it's just not the right press for it. You know, but Bloodbound Books has grown and changed, and I have too. And... <laughs> the story is what matters most. That's, that is that right. is
1: important. And I feel like saying you're a horror author is correct because I feel like even if you were to write it, and I don't want to say romance because that's the wrong word because romance means something different, but you could write a love story, and you kind of have in many ways already, mm-hmm. but there's Definitely. always the darker side. There's a story there. It's not just... Um, I don't know it's not the romance that you focus on so maybe when we say we're horror authors and this is just popping into my head now it's that we infuse that element into whatever genre we are writing so if i write a sci-fi story i'm sorry if chris writes a sci-fi story it's going to have that scary element in it you're probably not just going to be time traveling to you know have fun or see a past lover or something like that and and mm-hmm. just a super happy ending it's going to have those elements of horror in it, I guess. Is that what you would say? You're always that horror author that way, no matter what?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, not um, not militantly though, not like if I have a story in mind, I, I don't say, okay, I've got to add horror to it. Um, uh, but but you're right. I definitely have written stuff that is romantic, stuff about love and and, and marriage and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> Uh, But then there's also the flip side of all of that, which is divorce and widowhood and et cetera. Uh, that's the thing about love is love is just as painful as it is wonderful in that it's not going to end well. It's kind of like when you buy, when you get a pet and you're just like, okay, this is wonderful, but it's not going to end well. Like (laughs) no matter what you do in in a relationship, someone's going to leave one way or another. Someone's going to die. Like it's and, you know, unless you're, like, lucky and you're, like, I don't know, you're on the Ferris wheel together and it bursts into flames, you both die and together in love, which is beautiful. It's the way everyone wants to go, burning the death <laughs> on the Ferris wheel <laughs> on Valentine's Day. But it doesn't always go that way. It usually doesn't. So, um, yeah, I'm so going to this... use that line sometime with my
1: wife soon. I'd be like, honey, I think, um, like, if we could go, let's go the way Chris
0: said. Go that way. Go that way.
1: <laughs>
2: well, I heard yeah. It's kind of something I've been thinking about a lot, too, is that just. Burning to
0: death on a Ferris wheel?
2: (laughs) You know, know, kind of. Um, I just just was around the largest Ferris wheel, like one of the largest Ferris wheels in the world, saw it. And this is just how my mind works, where I just think of it as a horror story. Like, Mm -hmm. so when Mm -hmm. I like, so yeah, when you say that, I'm like. Well, like, that's kind of what crosses my mind when I see a Ferris wheel, and I see Mm -hmm. like, you know, and, and I just kind of start making up these things that will turn these like completely mundane situations into horror stories. So I'm wondering if you guys think that way, too, because that's just, that just seems to be how my mind, my mind works. And if that's the (laughs) first thing that you came up with, when you're talking about, you know, you know the tragedy of 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 great love is burning to death on a ferris wheel like i think you guys might have that same thing
0: (laughs) yeah i think i think we do i think we do yeah (laughs) i can't i i mean i i always like this is like how my mind is i just it's just i've i've poisoned myself so much with horror uh even just in my in entertainment the stuff that i enjoy it's been such a huge part of my life to the point of obsession that you know whenever it's summer and i like Go outside, and I'm like, oh man, you know, like if I go on a canoe or something, I'm just I'm thinking of slasher movies the entire time. I can't help it. i, I I'm just, and it's in a wonderful, happy way. I'm not like scared out in the boat, like, oh no, Cropsey's gonna jump out of the water and get me. It's it's not that. It's just I'm just like, yeah, Cropsey, yeah, Friday Thirteenth, yeah, Sleepaway Camp. You know, like it's like it's just this, this like sickness in a way where it's like you can't get the horror stuff out of your mind, and and to elaborate on what you said, Lucy, is is yeah, little mundane things in life is like you your mind just as a horror creator goes to that place of like what if, what if, and particularly in a carnival, a carnival is already kind of a creepy, weird setting anyway. There's just something um alien about about that whole setting. You know, the weird lights and the music and the creepy carnies and everything and the rides that are a thrill because you might actually die because they were just put together with rusty bolts like oh. you know that, two hours ago and
2: you know yeah. so it's true I was at Ocean City when I was a kid and I was too small for the ride. It was like a spinning thing and my dad had to like hold me in because the it didn't it didn't seal enough to wow. keep all kids in and we're just like hanging on
0: for
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think for me that's um and me Chris and I have talked about this. That's one of the things I want to see those mundane things. Um not that there's anything wrong with the vampires and the, the classic tropes, but I think I find those things more scary now. Like just yeah. these little situations in life. Social media terrifies me. Um, every time I go somewhere, I am. I'm thinking the same thing. What is the the danger lurking in this that is not evident, you know, that everyone thinks mm. it's a great, beautiful thing? You know, where's that ferris wheel going to burst into flames? So uh-huh. I really do think that's a great direction to go in for for horror. I, I,
0: I, think, I think part of it is... Um you know, cuz you're saying it, it freaks you out more now it's i think part of that is is definitely immersing ourselves in in horror 24 hours a day uh, but i think another part of it is i think as you get older you you have a clearer grasp of your own mortality. Like as a kid, you think you're invincible, and you know you'll go on, you know these rides like, well, just totally like, because you don't you don't really understand that you're gonna die. Not maybe not in that moment, but you are gonna die. Like you, that doesn't really sink in until you get older, and the older you get, the closer you get to being dead. And so you see the potential danger in all these little things that was always there. But you were just as a teenager, like, whatever, I'm gonna live forever, you know. And now you're like, no, no, I uh I I'm I'm gonna fucking die. And you see it yeah. in, in little things, you know,
2: in little things. Yeah. So it may as well be the Ferris wheel. It it may as well it be, will be, be the Ferris
0: wheel. At least it'll be a good story, before. right? At least it'll yeah. be a good story at the funeral. <laughs> he died to a little loved, bursting into flames on the Ferris wheel. <laughs>
1: That is one thing I do like in in newer horror stories, or I don't want to say newer horror stories, but one thing, like you said, as I get older, I want to read more about that side of it. It's not so much about the characters being killed, but maybe how they face that mortality, how the actual, I don't know, that's the terror in it, knowing that you will die or something like this is is going on. I guess maybe that's been my evolution from the, let's just bloody rip everything up, which I still, you know, there was a time and place for it. And now this Mm -hmm. is what I feel more. I want that. Wow, but maybe that's because I'm just older. And I think you're right on that. Um, It's very important though to get that story. Excuse me. Horror readers do not always, I should say many horror uh, readers, um, don't always like a thriller or a mystery. They seem to be very quickly turned off by it. So I know we know it now, but looking back, when did you first notice that, oh, this is an issue. I can't just randomly put something out because my fans expect something. Um, and then did you develop a plan or how did that maybe come about? Did you need to rebrand yourself at all or market
0: books differently? Yeah. Um, yeah, that is a good, good question. Um, it's it's not so much a thriller or mystery that they say it, whereas it's crime, um, you know, like, because I have some books that I would classify as crime or even like on the threshold of crime meets horror. And I've, I've I'd noticed, you know, when I would release a book that, you know, that we advertise as saying, oh, this dark crime thriller, you know, this sick, twisted crime story, no matter what adjectives you used, if there was crime in there, a lot of horror readers would be like, oh, I'm not really into the crime stories, because, you know, a lot of them, they think it's going to be, you know, cops and robbers type of stuff, and, you know, which legitimately that's what a lot of crime novels are, and some of are just not into it, uh, so yeah, when we released Fine Evening in Hell, we, you and I talked about it because that story is kind of a crime story. It's, you know it's these criminals and dirty dirty cops and stuff and this and this you know innocent hostage. But the story gets darker and darker and darker as it goes. And by the end of it, you have this almost Jack ketchum like you know situation that, that in the third act. And so I you know I, I said to you, I was like, let's just advertise it as a thriller because I know horror fans, if they see the word you know not all of them you know there's plenty of horror fans that love crime but certain you know ones that are a little bit more picky about about their things that they pick up would would pass on it even if they liked my other stuff that was horror they would tell me oh just let me know when you when your next horror one comes out and i would say no trust me if you read this it's it's filled with all of the the darkness and the and the and the murder and evil that you would get from one of my horror stories it may not be as bloody uh, that, as far as like you know, no one's having sex with intestines or anything like you'd get from body art. That's not in there, but you still have extreme, horrible violence and and you know uh, human trafficking, all sorts of shit. That's in the, That's in that's incredibly dark. And in a way, a lot of those stories to me are darker because they're more down to earth. You know, um, books like body art or the night stalkers, as although they are horror and they're filled with gore like they're so off the wall that in many ways they're funny you know uh whereas something like Finding ring hell i don't think is funny at all you know it's because it's because it's so grounded in reality agreed
2: how did you find that they responded to thriller i I, because i see a lot of overlap on on horror thriller in general
0: yeah yeah um well it's hard to say how they react to that um it's really more, it's kind of like trying to find a compromise, you know, because uh, I don't want to advertise a book like that as horror and people will be disappointed because it's not really a horror novel. Um, So thriller was kind of a compromise. It's like, well, it's, it definitely could be a thriller. Thriller is a more broad term than horror or crime. So I, uh, I think that it helps to add that, you know, like I had a book come out uh, last year called uh, And the Devil Cried. And, you know, we made, we even purposely made the cover look like an old Pulse, you know, dime store novel. And that book is very much a crime story. It starts with this guy getting out of prison and then, it, you know, involves him working with organized crime. But that book might be the most evil thing I've ever written uh, when it comes to the main character and what they do. Uh, a lot of people, uh, one of my more popular books is a book called Full Brutal, which is about a psychotic teenage girl and all of the evil things that she does and they're fucking evil and people love that book but you know i'll tell those readers I'm like you should check out in the devil cried because it's a similar kind of thing but they're like oh but this is about the, the mob and this hitman and stuff i'm like no 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 that's, that's not that's not what's important what's important here is the character themselves and what they do and what what he does is just as evil as the stuff that kim in full brutal does it's just a different genre of fiction so
1: i like that you brought up the cover uh, we've talked about that before i think that's so crucial so maybe a huge tip for authors is think about that book maybe it's easier and i'll ask you what other um advice you have for others but it sounds like it might be easier to market the book as what it is through the cover and being very specific on your word choices and how you um i guess market it then making sure right. that you don't call it something that it's that it's not right. um, uh, Are there any other tips besides just the description and say like the cover that you have? And it sounds like going to the right publisher for something um, makes sense too. But Is there anything else? Because it sounds like that might be easier than trying to rebrand you. And I know, Lucy, you might have talked about pen names, maybe a question on that. So
0: um,
1: I'm not sure. What other advice, I guess?
0: Sometimes I've thought maybe I should have done that, that I should have done a pen name thing. Uh, For example, if you're starting off as a writer and you're going to write, you know, really extreme stuff, you know, like, and you're going to have book titles that are like, you know, off the wall, like big breasted chainsaw hookers or something like that, you have to keep (laughs) in mind that, (laughs) you have to keep in mind if you're putting that on on your, yeah, like something on Godless, if you're putting that title under your own name, anytime you're trying to get a job or a loan or anything else that's gonna when they search you that's gonna pop up uh, and sure you didn't do anything wrong but people are people like like we were saying when you tell people you write horror people look up your name and you're trying to get a job at uh, at, at McDonald's or whatever and uh, and they see that you write books about you know insane big breasted chainsaw prostitutes You know, um, know, they'll look at you a little weird or maybe that'll help you get the job, depending on the person. But depending on your uh, manager, I guess. Yeah. 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 So it's like you want to keep that in mind uh, with using your own name. And then also, uh, if you're going to be writing different genres, that's also something to consider. If you're going to be writing extreme horror on the one hand and then on the other hand, you're going to be writing straight Westerns, not splatter ones or anything, not horror ones, just straight Westerns you might want to consider using two different names um, because, you, you know, you don't want your audience to get confused or angry when they think they're getting one thing and they're getting something else, you know? Uh, third with that is uh, is a bit of advice is if, you, if you're going to do ex- extreme horror, uh, keep in mind that it's kind of like doing porn uh, in the sense that X is forever, you know? Once you do that, that's what people are going to, recognize you for so if you're going you, you can go one or two ways with it is you could go full full in here you could go you know, uh full hog or whatever and just do nothing but splatter extreme and just build upon that and you can and, and rock it or if you're going wanting to do say extreme horror and also do some more conventional horror too that it isn't just you know blood and guts um you'll want to keep that uh, like a steady ebb and flow you know uh so that way you you wouldn't want to write say five or six extreme horror books and then put out something a little tamer and expect your audience to just roll with that you know it's better to kind of have it go back and forth very early on in in your publishing you know so you have so people learn early on that okay this guy isn't just doing uh blood and guts he can do this stuff too or girl you know whatever uh but you know some writers got kind of stuck in that you know where they became known for a certain thing, and then the only way they could sell books is if they were bringing that same level of gore and extremity and absurdity over and over and over. And I think some people get burnt out writing that, you know, to the end of time. They want to do different things, but then they get stuck. So that's something to keep in mind too. I like that—that
1: ebb flow. That's an important one.
2: I wanted to ask about the going back and forth between something that is you know some some books that are very like serious tone and then throwing out something like night stalkers um, right. which so I thought night stalkers was very funny so yes. uh, I thank mean, you <laughs> and so yeah how did how did that kind of how did that go over and how how do you how do you manage things like that
0: that's def- that's a good question uh, because even when we released night stalkers i i wrote i deliberately wrote a foreword because i felt like i should for any potential readers you know because anyone who read gone to see the river man which is like my most popular book and is dark and brooding and and scary to go from that to night stalkers is such a huge leap because night stalkers is very horror comedy um to an extreme you know level uh so yeah i wrote a forward in it saying hey just so hey readers i the first line i think is uh dear reader i owe you an apology uh you know yeah. and, and and that was the whole opening was just saying hey this is what you're in for this is not one of my regular books this is something that ryan harding the co-author and i wrote really just for our own laughs and uh and that's what it was and when ryan and i wrote it i mean it's a book about a satanic grocery store. So readers should know going into it, it's not going to be serious <laughs> just from that. But, but when, when, when he and I wrote it, uh, we were really just kind of, you know, we would write, we came up with the basic idea and we were like, send stuff back and forth. I would write a few thousand words, send it to him, and then he'd send it back to me with his edits and his words and, you know, giving it all one voice. But really, we were just trying to outdo each other with grossness every time we sent each other something, and we were just trying to make each other laugh. And it was just a fun experience. And then we were just, you know, he and I both had grown up on death metal, so we just filled it with all these death metal references. And it's just, it just—it was really just a very fun thing to write. And um, I think that it could—it o- could only have worked as a dark comedy. And some people get it and other people i think are just too disgusted by it and outraged by some of the things that happen which is totally understandable <laughs> you know i'm not going to argue <laughs> with people when they're like oh i was it was funny until that lady got uh got uh you know a forced abortion in the in the, in the produce department i'm like yeah that's 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 understandable that you, you didn't like that i understand <laughs> but it was really just about making it as intense and as as crazy as possible so yeah
1: that, that's a good technique though, because if you write a forward, it does, it really sets the reader up right away. And that's something in today's world that now we almost can always see a preview of like 5% of the book or something. They can right. learn right away what it is. And it's, um you know, it puts in your <coughs> personality and it lets the reader know. And I think that's a, a great addition that anyone could do as they they navigate genres. And it seems easier than having to do a pen name and, and build
0: all this yeah. stuff up. yeah I think it also helped with that book that it was uh, a collaboration. Um, mm-hmm. So it was—it's not like you were just getting. This is a Christopher Triano novel. You know, mm-hmm. it was like it was. Okay, like, this is a whole other thing. It's me working with another person. And, you know, so it, I think that helps it separate a little bit too. Mm-hmm. It, you know, definitely had more laughs writing that than anything else. Uh, but sometimes you just laugh to yourself too when you're writing extreme horror. When you're just like, oh man, people are gonna be pissed. You know, like when you write a certain scene <laughs> and you just start laughing, like, oh, people are gonna be mad. Um, you know, and it makes you laugh. Or, or you just try to outdo yourself. That's what I was doing mm-hmm. when I wrote Full Brutal. Is I, I just as I, as the book went on, I just was like, okay, what's the worst possible thing I could do to someone? What's the worst possible thing another human being could do? And it wasn't just, like, rip out their guns. It's like, no, yeah, no, it's not as simple as that. Like, let's it's slowly build up to that and just, like, ruining a life, ruining a reputation, ruining their family, et cetera, et cetera. And it just kind of escalates. Uh, and so that gave me, like, this, you know, because it's fiction, because it's not real, it gives you this little... Uh, kind of you know laugh to yourself which is like oh, man i'm just making this worse and worse and worse and you just kind of like just laugh to yourself at this horrible situation that you're creating for a fictional world <laughs> but maybe it's just me i'm a sick person
2: <laughs>
1: and I, I laugh at those things too i do especially well well and then when I read some of your manuscripts i love writing little notes in them when I'm going through them the first time, like yeah. oh, awesome. I'll just do a little thing I'm like i'm, I'm laughing i'll write a comment in it, yeah. and, you know, it does, <laughs> Me up. <laughs> I, can, I, have whoever, right, I can see you like in my mind. I'm envisioning you sitting, you know, in your cabin in the woods in the snow,
0: like just laughing. About it. That's pretty much That's a very good description of me. It's just a man in a cabin in the woods, just laughing hysterically. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. That's pretty much my life. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like this close to being Ted Kaczynski here. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I do like the look, though. I like the look. Yeah,
0: yeah, the beard and everything just made things worse. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Asking about pen names. I think it was because perhaps pen names seem to be for someone who's writing for trends, you were saying.
2: Yeah. really
1: want to build an audience.
2: Yeah, and that was, it was. My thought on that one was kind of like what we covered on the first question of like, you know, that the story, the story determines the genre rather than like, I'm going to set out and write an extreme horror novel, because I think I don't know. I think I, I see that a lot, where like um, you'll see people who are like big fans of the genre, and they're they're mostly a fan of of the genre, and then they'll they'll want to contribute something because they're they're a fan, so they will write specifically to a genre, and so I see that, and then you see other people who just were like, well, this is the story, and it's what it is, <laughs> mm-hmm. label it as you will, and. Right and i feel like the pen name and and separating it because you know you might go through an extreme horror phase and then you might get like as you guys as you were saying be get burnt out on it like well i want to write high fantasy now and Mm -hmm. and so choosing another pen name because you're you're getting into exploring all these different genres as opposed to like oh here's the story i have to tell it in some way and this one just happens to have a lot of blood and guts you know
1: right right yeah um, well, then that makes me think of a, of a question. Is there any, I'm scared to say high fantasy, but is there anything more like that in your genre you haven't tackled yet that you want to because of the story? I guess I shouldn't even say genre, but has a story come to you where you're like, gosh, this would be kind of cool, but shit, it's it's like fantasy. Is that mm-hmm. ever kind of popped into your head, or no?
0: Well, I've never been into the fantasy genre, like the whole sword and sandal, you know, mm-hmm. epics and everything. It's just not for me. Um, so that's not not an issue. But I mean, if, if I think of something that I want to write, if I'm passionate about it, then I'll do it. And that's why I've jumped between, like, you know, I want to write this crime novel, even though it doesn't sell as much as my horror novels. I'm like, I want to write this fucking crime novel that's in my head, and so I do it. Um, uh you know i mean maybe maybe there's like some little bits of things that i've dabbled into like some of my published short stories have some of them have like a sci-fi um feel to them but not in the um star wars sense of sci-fi more in the sense of like hard physics and like nerd stuff like that uh but people generally don't want to read about that uh because it's it, it, you have to learn a lot to even get into the story, you know. Right. Uh, and I'm not saying that I'm smarter than than the reader because I'm not. I'm an idiot. But I will read an article and get all that information in my mind, and that'll put a story idea in my head. And then I'll want to write the story. But I'm like, Albert, oh, you have to know every you have to know everything that's in this article for the story to make sense on an astrophysical level yeah. and so then the story ends up be- becoming this like textbook too and it just doesn't work uh so maybe that you know maybe there are some stories where I feel like having to explain uh the science behind it or having to explain uh well here's th- a good example uh, i'm working right now on a story that takes place in prison and i've had to learn a, a great deal a great deal about prison life from, from the, from the CEO's point of view, as far as the, 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 inmates. And I'm trying to write this story, but at the same time, it's like, okay, don't over-explain prison life just because you've learned so much about it. But at the same time, you've got to put in just enough information that the story will continue to make sense. Cause you know, prison is so different than, than what any free person has ever experienced. So, when you when you write a story that takes place in a prison and you see it a lot in the movies, like things happen in the in the movies where that would never happen in prison because of the way the life is actually regulated. But most people don't know that. So you have to go in, you have to explain, okay, this is how this is the period of time that these people are allowed out of their cells and this is who has to sit where in, in the mess hall and, and all that. Um so you do you, you do run into that issue where you want to explain it without over explaining it. So I don't know. I think I've, once again, gone off topic, but...
1: No, that makes a lot of sense, because it's something that maybe, and I don't know if it's just a horror, but I have seen that, where there's such hard science in it, you really gotta be interested in that. I guess maybe I'm more of like a a John Carpenter guy, like Prince of of uh, Darkness. Prince of Darkness. Yeah. Of talking about all of like, um, it has something to do with
0: astrophysics. Oh okay, yeah, the talking whole... about yeah, yeah. The whole movie is, is based in like yeah. what if astrophysics is tied into the supernatural and um, the devil and everything. Yeah, I love that. That movie. I love to see. Yeah, but we don't know. But, but that movie, but that movie was a huge fucking bomb for him. Uh, because, yeah. you know, people were like, what the fuck is this? You know, there's like this green liquid and that's that's yeah. the devil and their team of physicists. It just did not work for, for people. They were like, no, I want Michael Myers. You know? And that's because <laughs> I, I love that one. And I know you're a Me big too. fan of that one. Too. Um, but I guess that's the
1: best way I've seen that I can uh, give a, an example that maybe everyone has seen. Hopefully if they're horror fans watching this. But I find that we tend to cut out. Again, we just. Uh, stereotypical across the board maybe but um, not everyone we cut out a lot of that science stuff or a lot of the explanation in favor of the story whereas you do a lot of research and you keep it in and it really does enhance it Um, and I'm not sure if there's a right or wrong way sometimes I do I try to glaze over it myself just give them enough because I might not know it uh, myself and I should probably be doing more research like you do and that really brings the story alive I think it does it makes it more, maybe more accessible to more people than just horror fans and like, oh, he's actually done something and done some research here.
0: Yeah, I I, I definitely do. And I know sometimes that can be, uh, annoying with for my publisher when I go in last minute changes and be like, wait a minute. There's this one <laughs> thing There's one thing they changed at this actual prison recently, so we need to change it like, like I just got
1: something on conjugal visits that visit that gotta-
0: <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, I was like no wait wait wait, you know federal versus state and all this stuff like, yeah, so There's a lot of differences yeah, a lot of differences, but no, I, I want to be as accurate as possible. I mean, I you know when I wrote my Western um, that was like the accumulation of of decades of reading actual Westerns, you know, not just horror Westerns, but Westerns written by Western authors that specialize in it, historians, and, uh, and also just having kind of a, a general interest in that era in time, you know, of the 1800s. And so I brought to that that Splatter Western, even though it's fantastical, it's about werewolves and it's filled with mm-hmm. carnage, um, It's it's v- historically accurate um as far as the guns used the technology used uh, the politics of the time um it it is accurate you know a lot of uh a lot of times I'll see you know horror writers try to do a horror Western and it's clear that they've only watched like Clint Eastwood movies you know they all they all have this formula it's like oh okay the main character is always a gunslinger and uh, and all the wi- all the female characters are prostitutes. Every single one. <laughs> Apparently, there were no school teachers no in the Wild West. They were all whores and gunslingers. All of them. All of them. Ah, oh, uh, what an age to live in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I actually I, I wanted to combat that. So I had several uh, in mind, um, Like not there. There are no like. There there's a saloon girl, which is not the <laughs> same as a prostitute that's a character, but other than that, like the characters, there's a school teacher, there's a nun, there's a a young girl who works on a farm. I was like, I'm not having all of my female characters be whores, that's ridiculous. That's just like a movie trope for Westerns, you know? But I put whores in the sequel, that comes out later. Oh good. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but they're werewolf whores, so, you know, they're a little different. Different,
1: very different. <laughs> um, I, I, I think, <laughs> Sorry, werewolf horse totally took me off of where I was going to go next. <laughs> why, 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 would it,
0: why would that derail things? Werewolf <laughs> horse, it's a romance, um, it's a romance. I, I
1: think that also helps in moving across genres, the fact that you can do other characters. But I wanted to come back and this is uh, a guy, I'm glad you brought up that Prince of Darkness was a total flop for John Carpenter because as you were over last time hanging out and we were chatting, um, you reminded me that John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China is actually a Western.
0: It totally is. It's
1: yeah. a totally a Western movie and I always forget that. And then yeah. somebody brings up like, well, hell yeah, it is. He seems to be, and this is important you brought it up, but a guy who, he's a horror guy. And yet he does Westerns. He does fantasy. He's mm-hmm. doing astrophysics and sci-fi. He's doing oh, yeah. it all, but he's always John Carpenter. He is yeah. kind of like, I guess, the director equivalent of the kind of authors that I really like to see Absolutely. moving around.
0: Yeah, I, I he's one of my one of my absolute idols as a as a horror creator, and I've always loved that he's had that um, variety to him, where he could make a movie like Halloween and then also make a movie like Escape from New York, you know, uh, which are just very, very both dark and nihilistic, but but very different tone, very different genre, uh, and then even do comedic stuff like like the thing that i love about big True Little china is it's it's every movie genre in one movie it's it's a martial arts movie it's a comedy it's a horror movie it's monsters and kung fu and it's funny it's 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 everything you know and, and it's a western in a story structure of course it doesn't take place in the wild west but you've got a stranger coming into town where there's trouble brewing where there's an old evil there and he has to come in and save the day and uh, he even talks like John Wayne, they did that on purpose, you know. <laughs> He's like, Hey, little lady, he like Jack <laughs> talks like that, you know, on purpose. And then in, in Escape from New York, Russell talks like Clint Eastwood, you know, when he does hmm. the snake bliskin voice, you know, that whisper, you know. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Carpenter, definitely, Carpenter definitely was a, a big Western fan. Um, he didn't necessarily do a, a Western, I mean, Vampires kind of feels like a Western when you watch mm. it too, but um. But he was a big fan, um, uh, particularly of uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, which is my favorite Western. Uh, oh, I, yeah, there was a talk- yeah. man. Yeah, um, uh, man. Carpenter absolutely I loved that movie. He's gone on record saying many times how, how big of an influence Leon's stuff was, particularly that movie. Uh, and funny enough, uh, another um, horror icon, a lot of people forget this or don't realize this, uh, Dario Argento uh, co-wrote the screenplay to that movie. And a lot of people forget that or don't notice that. Um, but yeah, before he you know, became a director himself with and became a horror icon with Suspiria and Deep Red and stuff like that, he was a screenwriter and he co-wrote Once Upon a Time in the West. So there's another thing for these horror fans out there who are like, oh, I don't really like you know crime. You know, it's like, it's that same type of thing. It's like, no, 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 trust me. It, like a lot of these creators that you love, these filmmakers, these writers, they have these other projects that will give you that same vibe that you that you liked of their work, maybe it's not horror, but it it gives you that same dark vibe. Because horror can exist in any genre and any time, you know. Like you could have, like look at uh, you mentioned fantasy. Look at like Game of Thrones. You know, that's that's yeah. like a sword and sandal thing, but it's filled with horror and carnage. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I and this is a silly question because I I pretty much already know the answer. But you read outside of horror, then you 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 read a lot. Of it. I know we've watched a ton of movies that are outside of it. But what are some of your favorite genres to read outside of horror?
0: Western and crime, uh, probably okay. the ones that I that I go after the most. Um, I've always liked those two genres a lot. Uh, and some of my favorite writers write in there. Uh, you know, Cormac McCarthy and um, Elmore Leonard. Jim Thompson. You know, I read a lot of the classic stuff. I also like to go back a lot and read. And this is something I think all young writers should do is go back and read writers horror novels from 20, 30, 40 years ago that you haven't heard of. Of course, you read King. Of course, you read Barker and and, and all that. But go back and find like the Charles Charles L. Grants and, and, and you know, writers like that that have been kind of forgotten to time. Um, but 30, 40 years ago, they were kings of the of the of the um, genre, you know, so I go back and I read a lot of those and I think um, it's important to do that. I also think that it's important for writers to read uh, stuff that would be the opposite of of what they would normally read or write. Um, One of the things that that's helped me and I've had people comment, which is a great compliment. People say, oh, you write women very well. How do you write women so well? I said, well, I read a ton of stuff written by women. That's the way to do it. You know, it's like, and, you know, like, what better way to get into the female psyche, you know, than to read these books written from a female perspective? Um, because I think a lot of writers, they'll, they just go after, like, like someone be like, oh, man, I love Stephen King. I want to be like Stephen King. And they'll just, like, focus on Stephen King and then others that are like him, you know, like Dean Koontz and stuff like that. It's like, no, read all this stuff that's out, completely out of your world. Read. Tony Morrison, you know, like read stuff that you wouldn't normally uh, think that you were aspiring to be like, because you're getting writing, you're learning writing technique and writing style and, and tone and character from, a, from a wider um, perspective, then you're not just pigeonholing yourself into this one little pocket of horror, you know?
1: Absolutely. That's a good one. Um, now, this is the one, this final one doesn't even have to be about the, the genre switching or anything, because I love that what you said for newer writers. Is there any other? Oh, little tidbits of information like that that you want to share with a with a young writer starting out because maybe in their first or second year of of publishing that you could help them navigate an obstacle that you've already gone through. Maybe.
0: Yeah, I always try to help out young authors um, and aspiring authors. You know, because I had a couple of people that have stepped in and that that have been around longer than me that have helped me, and, and it means the world. And we should all be a community that that helps each other um so my advice if you're just starting out is to not quit um you will get rejected many times uh so don't but don't quit but also don't ignore the uh criticism at the same time you know you want to be open to constructive criticism if someone's like this sucks that's not constructive you can tell them the off but if someone's like well you got a decent idea here but here's the problems with it you should be open to that you know don't think that your first never think that your first draft or second draft is, is a masterpiece because I promise you it's not um, and not because you're you it's because you're a person and, and that's just how it works uh, you're going to continue to grow as an author and you're going to continue to perfect your craft it's it's a, something that never stops you don't you don't get to a point where you're like well I'm done I'm, a, I'm perfect now no you're always to the day you die I don't care what writer you are you're continuing to change and perfect your craft and learn things from from other writers um also uh but at the same time when once you start putting books out and everything i mean it's it's good to get that constructive criticism but don't pay too much attention to reviews uh reviewers are great and wonderful they, they've helped you know my career they helped a lot of people's careers but i'm saying as a writer you don't want to obsess over the reviews that you're getting uh because it can change like your pr- perspective on your own writing, I can give even if it's all even if it's all good. If someone just loves one particular book, like then you start to get this anxiety of like, oh, I've got to live up to this book that I wrote, you know. Uh, so you want to be careful with that. Always, um, always write, always write for the people who like your stuff, and not don't write for the people who don't like your stuff. You know, don't try to change your your style because someone said that. They, that someone hated your book and like, well, okay, I'll do better next time. No, that's just, they're just not your audience. They're just not your audience. Write for the people, you know, if, if they're like, hey, I loved these four books of yours, keep doing that keep putting that stuff out. So that's just some of the stuff that comes to mind. Perfect.
1: And I just wanted to reiterate one more time that awesome suggestion you had earlier for authors that ebb and flow, if they're just starting out, not just putting out extreme horror, unless that's what they really think they want to do for a long period of time. I think we know as we get older, it's not always what you want to do forever, but that right. putting it out is really important. Oh, oh, one last one, then I guess for you. Um, that, that first draft, and you write very quickly, um, but that first draft, how off, how long do you sometimes set it aside for? Because I've done the same thing. I have to circle back through, and once, yeah. sometimes what I get at the end is much, much different than that first draft. Sure. And So how long do you set it aside and then go work
0: on something else normally? Yeah, usually, uh, you know, usually if, uh, if I write, say, if I write a novel, for example, you know, it takes me, you know, a couple of months to, to write the novel. And then when I'm done with it, while it's still all in my head, I go through and I do a full round of edits and then I just let it sit. Uh, and it's and the amount of time I let it sit is really more based on, not on time, but uh, on other projects, you know? Okay. Um, because letting it sit doesn't mean just this, you know, leaving it and then waiting. It, it's really getting your head out of that world. So, you know, I'll say I, I wrote the novel and then I'm like, okay, I've got, Four, and then I write four short stories and a novella afterwards, and then I'm completely in those worlds, and I finish that, and then say that takes me, you know, two or three months or something, and then I'll go back, you know, to the to the novel, and, and then I've forgotten it, you know, uh, because that's a big thing with editing is, is it's, you know what it's supposed to say, you know what it's supposed to feel like when you're writing it, but you need to make sure that you're translating that for the reader appropriately. So, it's always good to go back and I, this has happened to me several times, and I think it's it's one of the blessings of getting forgetful. Is I'll go back to something that I wrote three months ago, and I'll be like, I don't remember half of the shit that I that wrote that, that that's happened in the book, and so I'm surprised by something. I'm like, oh yeah, oh that's I forgot I wrote that. I forgot this character that, they, that this happens to them, and and it's and it makes the editing uh better in that sense because you completely have blacked out on at least I have because my memory is going because yeah. I don't know
1: uh, definitely <laughs> done the same thing. <laughs> definitely yeah. um yeah
0: you, you leave it alone.
1: yourself all the time <laughs>
0: yeah, you leave you leave yeah. something alone long enough and then you it, and you know even though it was a big part of your life for two or three months. But then you go for several months fill it creating a whole other worlds and it's and you forget yeah. it. it's the same thing when um you know like when you Read someone else's book. There's so many books that I have in my library where people come over and go, Oh, look, this one looks good. And I'll be like, Yeah, that's one of my favorite books of all time. I love that book. It rules. And what's it about? Ah, I don't know. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, hey, yeah. I just I can't remember. I just remember yeah. that I read it and I'm and i and I get like vague ideas like, Yeah, it's you know dark and this this woman <laughs> kills kills this guy and steals his son or you know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's like very vague like what, because mm-hmm. it's been 20 fucking years since I've read the book. So yeah. I don't remember mm-hmm. everything. It's not like you know re- rereading a book is a big time commitment. It's not like rewatching a movie, you know, uh, but even that with yeah. the fucking movies. Now I watch a movie and then, you know, a year later people like tell me oh, I saw this great movie. And they'll tell me all about it. I'm like, that sounds awesome and I'll go and I'll rent it, I'll put it on. And I'm halfway through, i am like, oh, I saw this. I, 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 I. <laughs> and I liked it, I fucking liked it too. It's not even like, like, oh, I forgot about it because it was crap. It's like, no, this was really good, I forgot. Uh, and, man, and also, I... I think I think also as a creator, you're just, you're constantly, at least I am, I'm sure you guys do, constantly just taking in books and movies and stories, just, you know, uh, and coming up with your own. So there's all these, these worlds that just are swirling in your head that have nothing to do with reality, uh, it's all these, it's all these these phantom worlds of the mind, and so they just, you know, your brain can only hold so much. I think. You know? yeah. But, but it's it's funny what you retain, like the stuff from when you were younger. Like I could probably recite picture of Little China from memory, like line for line, because I've seen it so many times. Uh, but then you know, a movie that I watched a week ago, I can't tell you everything that happens in it. Yeah.
1: So authors, you've got some great tips going on in here. Um, Something about that, the continuous cycle. Think about that, it's continuing. So just because one book gets put aside and it has to sit while you jump into another world, it's okay, you're perpetually working and moving on to something new. And I guess that goes to one thing that I always like to say is that success is usually a game of patience. Perseverance more than anything. I think, uh, and this is um, 10 years ago, about it was 2012, that's when I read The Devouring. And I don't think success ever, It can happen overnight, right? But people might not realize that. They might see this body of work and think that Chris was always as prolific as he is today. And it took a long time and all Mm -hmm. this, but never stopped. And he was always doing the the cycling process and always learning more and evolving as a writer. And so he also has a plan. So don't just put out your first book, make a plan, think about it. Don't just be the most extreme person in the world. And uh, thank you again so much for joining Chris. Uh, really, oh, really, thank really-
2: you guys. Yeah. Thank you.
0: No, I love yeah. it. And and I'm really I'm really excited to see the stuff that you guys are putting out too. So thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. It's a good show.